supreme deity. The apostolic church representative will affirm, and the apostolic church representative is Brother Gordon McGee from Belfast, Ireland. The Church of Christ representative will deny. Church of Christ representative in the discussion is W.L. Toddy, Garfield Church of Christ, Indianapolis, Indiana. Now the discussion that Jesus is the supreme deity will be discussed for two nights. Tonight, Tuesday night, March 15th, tomorrow night, Wednesday night, March 16th. The proposition that will be under discussion on Thursday, March 17th, and Friday, March 18th, will be this proposition, that God eternally exists in three co-equal persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Church of Christ representative will affirm, that will be W.L. Toddy, of course. And the Apostolic Church representative will deny, and that will be Brother Gordon McGee. So I think that you can understand the order of the services. We might suggest tonight, uh, since we had made the announcement in our churches that the time of the beginning of the service would be 8 o'clock, we're asking for those of you who are here tonight to spread the word and to come earlier tomorrow night. I think it'll be helpful to all involved. We've made the announcement of 8 o'clock because of slow time residents in the nearby area. But we're going to start our service earlier so that those of you coming from a distance can make it back home in sufficient time. Now the representative, or the participants rather, of the Church of Christ, I'm going to introduce them by name and ask them to stand. First of all, Mr. W.L. Toddy from the Garfield Church of Christ in Indianapolis, to my right. And then his moderator, Jim Rogers, from the Morgan Street Church of Christ here in Martinsville, to my right. Brother Gordon McGee is sitting to the left of me, who will be the participant for the apostolic group, Brother Gordon McGee. I am Brother Urshan from Calvary Tabernacle in Indianapolis, Brother McGee's moderator, and Brother Potter, the pastor of the Emmanuel Apostolic Church here in Martinsville, is also assisting Brother Potter. I take the liberty to introduce Brother Potter because it was through Brother Potter and through Brother Rogers that this discussion began. And so we're just giving you preliminaries so that you can understand where we are in connection with the discussion. Now I'd like to make this request before I introduce Mr. Rogers. We don't want any demonstrations from the audience to interrupt the discussion, to interrupt the participants in the discussion, simply because we want to use all the time that we can. Now, of course, when I'm talking about uh, demonstrations in the audience, I mean something that will take away from the attention up here. If you feel like saying a good, rousing amen, that's all right. But I'm talking about doing something in this audience or trying to get in the discussion. You listen. 
Let the participants do the discussing. And uh, with that, we want to introduce to you Mr. Rogers, who is the pastor of the Morgan Street Church of Christ. Mr. Rogers. On behalf of the Morgan Street Church of Christ, we welcome each of you to this debate. We hope that all of you have come with open and receptive hearts to honestly and sincerely investigate the things which are about to be spoken. We want to realize and recognize each other as being honest and sincere because I believe that we are. As uh, we are about to begin, I would add one thing, or would just uh, say one thing more to emphasize that which Mr. Hershen has just said in regards to demonstrations from the audience. These can get to be out of hand, even though they are very honest and very sincere in their origination. Even such a thing as a whisper can sometimes get out of hand when it gets a little bit loud and when it starts disturbing the people behind you. Now that is not to say that we do not expect you to laugh a little if something humorous is said, for we could not stop you from doing that, and we wouldn't if we could. So if something of that nature happens, well, uh, that's all right. But let's even keep that to a minimum. And then uh, uh, whispering, let's keep that down and make sure that if, we're, if we must, if we feel that we must talk with someone, that we do keep it a whisper. Remember that when we talk to each other in an audience such as this, that we not only disturb the person to whom we are talking, but we also will disturb those who are behind us. I thank you. Thank you, sir. One more explanation. The discussions will be 30 minutes apiece. That is, Mr. McGee will begin by affirming the supreme deity of Jesus Christ tonight. He will take 30 minutes, and then Mr. Toddy will follow him for 30 minutes. After the first hour is passed, there'll be just a temporary recess of a few minutes, and then there'll be the by each of the participants. It's my happy privilege tonight to introduce Gordon McGee from Belfast, Ireland, who will be the speaker for the Apostolic Group. Subject again, the Supreme Deity of Jesus Christ. been asked to wear a lapel microphone. Not used to these gadgets. Don't know whether it improves my appearance or not. Are you getting it all right? Is it working? Yeah, I see. <coughs> Honorable opponent, moderators, ladies and gentlemen, the proposition which I have the 
honor and privilege to defend is that Jesus is the supreme deity. Naturally, I wouldn't be here attempting to defend such a proposition if I did not believe it with all my heart. As far as I am concerned, the Bible certainly teaches that Jesus Christ is the supreme deity. By Jesus, of course, we mean Jesus of Nazareth. And by supreme, we mean he is above all others, that he is the only true God. Now, Mr. Totty tonight is taking the negative position, and he is denying that Jesus is the supreme deity. I am so thankful that I am not in his shoes tonight. I cannot think of any more serious thing for a man to do than to deny the supreme deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. So my opponent tonight denies Christ's deity. I'm urging you people to tell it far and wide tonight that the so-called Church of Christ makes no bones about it. They deny the deity of Jesus. Of course they answer, we do not deny his deity. They answer, we deny only his supreme deity. And so, we will hear a quibble of that sort put before us. They say they do not deny Christ's deity, they deny only his supreme deity. Pray tell me tonight, is a relative deity a possibility? Is it possible to be partly God? or God to a certain extent. I say if Jesus is not God overall, then he is not God at all. And that goes for anybody called God. If they are not God overall, I repeat, then they are not God at all. So it will not do to say that the Church of Christ, so-called Church of Christ, does not deny the deity of Christ, that they merely deny the supreme deity of Christ. <clears throat> I have been thinking that if Jesus is not the supreme deity, and if the Father, according to Mr. Totty, is equal with Jesus, and if the Holy Spirit is also the co-equal of Jesus, then neither the Father nor the Holy Spirit can be the supreme deity. I ask Mr. Totty tonight, who is your supreme deity if Jesus is not? 
He dare not point me to the Father and say, There you see the supreme deity. Because he tells me in the second proposition, he is convinced that the Father is co-equal with Jesus. So he dare not point to the Father and say, There is my supreme deity. If Jesus is not supreme deity, and the Father is the co-equal of Jesus, then neither is the Father supreme deity. And the same goes for the Holy Spirit. If Mr. Toddy points to the Holy Spirit and says the Holy Spirit is supreme deity, then we are obliged to draw the attention to the fact that he believes, according to proposition number two, that the Holy Spirit and Jesus are co-equal. If Jesus is not supreme deity, then neither is the Holy Spirit. So Mr. Totty tonight is in the unenviable and the curious position of having no supreme deity at all. Each person in his heavenly committee, according to him, is one third of God only. There is no person in the universe, hear it, no person in the universe, no divine person in the universe to whom he can point and say, there is supreme deity. I have had this same debate with a Roman Catholic priest of the Jesuit order. The proposition was, Jesus is the supreme deity. I affirmed, as I hope I'll always do, the Roman Catholic Jesuit priest, he denied that Jesus was the supreme deity. Because, as you know, Rome, the Church of Rome, happened to be the classical and the traditional Trinitarians. They have been Trinitarians since the year 325 A.D., at least. And so tonight it makes no difference whether I am debating with a so-called Church of Christ representative or whether I am debating with a round-collared priest of Rome. They will both speak with the same voice. So I can say tonight, paraphrasing their well-known slogan, that in this matter of whether or not Jesus is supreme deity, in this matter, the Church of Christ speaks where the Church of Rome speaks and the Church of Christ so-called is silent where the Church of Rome is silent. There's no difference whatsoever in their respective positions in connection with this matter of the supreme deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. But watch it. <coughs> Mr. Totty will say some nice things about Jesus. Mr. Totten will praise Jesus. But if you listen carefully, you will discover that while he praises Jesus, and as he praises Jesus, he plunders him. To deny Jesus' supreme deity is to deny his deity. Get that clear? To deny his supreme deity is to deny his deity because a deity who is not supreme is no deity at all. Now Jesus, Jesus 
is the Greek word, or the Greek form of the Hebrew word Yehoshua, which means Jehovah, our Savior. And so our proposition tonight could read like this. The supreme deity of Jehovah, our Savior. Get that clear. When we stand for the supreme deity of Jesus, we are standing for the supreme deity of Jehovah, Savior, because that's the meaning of his name. Now then, is Jesus the name of the Son only? We say no. Jesus is not the name of the Son only, because in Hebrews chapter 1, and in verse 4, we are told that Jesus, or the Son, received his name by inheritance. Hebrews 1 and 4, being made so much better than the angels as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Now any son inherits his name from his father. My name is McGee simply because my dad's name is McGee. And so we are told the son inherits his name. In other words, he gets it from his father. In John 17 and verse 6, I read this. The son is speaking and he says to the father, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Jesus, I have manifested thy name, says the Son to the Father, unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. In the 11th verse of John 17, in the revised version, Jesus the Son speaks of thy name, addressing the Father, thy name which thou hast given me. Thy name which thou hast given me, and that is repeated in the twelfth verse. Thy name, says the Son, which thou, the Father, hast given me. In John 5 and 43, Jesus says, I am come in my Father's name. Thus, the name of Jesus is the name of the Father and the Son. As Proverbs 13 verse 4 says, What is his name? What is his Son's name? If thou canst tell, because to know the name of the Son is to know the name of the Father, and to know the name of the Father is to know the name of the Son. So Jesus is not only the name of the Son, Jesus is also the name of the Father. Jesus is also the name of the Holy Spirit. John 14 and 26. The Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send, says the Son, in my name. In Acts 16 and verse 7, in the revised version, or a good margin, you will read of the Spirit of Jesus. In Philippians 1 verse 19 you'll read plainly in the King James Version of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Thus, Jesus is the name of the Father, Jesus is the name of the Son, 
and Jesus is the name of the Holy Ghost. That's one thing which we would like to stress. When we contend for the supreme deity of Jesus, we contend for Jesus, a name which is common to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost according to the Word of God. But let's take this matter a step forward. Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, not only bore the name of the Father, but the Bible teaches he was the Father. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And his name, the name of the child, the name of the son, his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God. Notice the definite article. The mighty God. Here it comes. The everlasting Father. Or as the Hebrew says, the Father of eternity. Thus, in language clear beyond misunderstanding and ambiguity, the Bible declares that that person who was the child, that person who was the son, was also the mighty God and the Father of eternity. This great truth is repeated in John chapter 14 and verse 9. Philip wanted to see the Father. Jesus gently reproves him and says, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? Hear it? He that hath seen me, says the Son, he that hath seen me hath seen the Father. What could be clearer? What could be plainer? John 10 and 30 in the Revised Version. Jesus the Son says, I and my Father are one. Not two, but one. Of course, no doubt we'll be treated to a quibble. That Jesus and the Father are one as a husband and wife are one. I warn my opponent against such, against using such for this reason. Jesus, the Jesus who said, I and my Father are one, made it clear that this ineffable oneness was such that if anyone saw him, they saw the Father. He says, he that hath seen me hath seen the Father. Would my dear friend, Mr. Toddy, be prepared to stand before this congregation and say, he that hath seen me hath seen my wife? Won't work. When Jesus said, he that hath seen me hath seen the Father, he meant what he said, he said what he meant. When Jesus said, I am the Father are one, he meant it to be certainly an indivisible oneness. In the second epistle of John, verse 9, I read, He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ hath both the Father and the Son. In Colossians 2 and 9, in him, Jesus, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. 
For as Colossians 1.19 puts it, it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Or, paraphrasing it, it was pleasant for the Father to indwell him in fullness. The great key to an understanding of Jesus is this. He is the Father, as the Bible plainly says. He is also the Son, as it equally clearly teaches. When we say He's the Father, we mean He's God. When we say He's the Son, we mean He is man. He is the Father as to His deity, and He is the Son as to His humanity. When he is portrayed as the Father, the thought of absolute deity is involved. When he is portrayed as the Son, the thought of absolute humanity is involved. I warn you tonight, there is no other way to make Jesus God other than to make him the Father. Because as the Bible plainly declares to us, there is one God, the Father, one Corinthians. To us there is one God the Father, one God and Father of all. Deny the fatherhood of Jesus and you have denied his deity. He is God because he is the Father. And so we say Jesus of Nazareth, who is called the Son of God, not only bore the name of his Father, he was the Father. Likewise, Jesus of Nazareth, who is called the Son of God, is one person with the Holy Ghost. Listen to this. Ephesians 4 verse 4 tells us plainly, There is one Spirit. Not two or more, but there is one Spirit. 1 Corinthians 8 and 6 says there is one Lord, Jesus Christ. One Lord, Jesus Christ. Not two Lords, one Lord. So there is one Spirit, and there is one Lord, Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is that Spirit. What could be clearer? What could be plainer? There is one Spirit. There is one Lord, Jesus Christ. Now the Lord is that Spirit. So Jesus of Nazareth is one being or one person with the Holy Ghost. Again, we remind you that in Acts 16 and 3, the Revised Version, the Holy Ghost is called the Spirit of Jesus. Philippians 1.19, the Holy Ghost is called the Spirit of Jesus Christ. In John 20 and 22, watch it. Jesus breathed upon his disciples and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Do we propose to make a difference of person between a man and his breath? He breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. John 14, 18, Jesus looks at the apostles and he says, I will not leave you orphans. Read your margin. That's the word. Jesus says to the apostles, I will not leave you orphans. In other words, he was their father. He said, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Here we have Jesus promising to come as the Holy Ghost in order to be a father to his apostles. 
John 14, verse 16, this truth is also beautifully brought out. John 14 and verse 16. Jesus says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Jesus was consoling the hearts of the apostles. He says, I'll pray the Father, he'll give you another comforter, and the comforter will abide with you forever. Who is it that abides with the Christian? Jesus, of course. Matthew 28 and verse 20. Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. So Jesus of Nazareth is one person with the Holy Ghost. Now, this is what the coming to because Jesus is, and is the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, because of that, Jesus could say in Revelation 1 and verse 8, I am the Almighty. Not we are the Almighty, but Jesus could say, I am the Almighty. Reverently speaking, it seems like the Savior agrees with our proposition. My proposition tonight is Jesus is the supreme deity. Jesus says, I am the Almighty. I heard a preacher one time telling a congregation, he said, the devil is almighty. Then when he saw the look of consternation in the people's face, he said, but the Lord is mightier than he. I don't need to point out to this intelligent audience that there's nobody mightier than the Almighty. And Jesus said, I am, personal pronoun, singular number. Jesus said, I am the Almighty. Why? Because the Bible reveals he is the Father, he is the Son, and he is the Holy Ghost. John 8 to 56. Jesus said before Abraham was, I am, I am. If ever there was a title to denote supreme deity, it's that glorious title of the burning bush. Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. Paul in Romans 9 and 5 declares that Christ came concerning the flesh, he is over all. Whom concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all God's blessed forever. In 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 8, Jesus Christ is called the Lord of glory. Not a Lord of glory, not one of two or three lords of glory, but the Lord of glory. The 24th Psalm, verses 7 to 10, Reveal that the Lord of glory is Jehovah of hosts, the Lord the poet. The apostle didn't hesitate to say, Jesus is the Lord of glory, the Lord the poet. A brief pause.
only the one God is Jews. No one in the universe, in the absolute sense, is Jews, says Jesus, but the one God. So he says to the young man, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one that is God. So therefore, according to Jesus, only the one God is good. Now, if Jesus is not the one God, then the onus is upon Mr. Toddy tonight to tell us in which sense he is not good. But if Mr. Toddy will look us in the white of the eye and say, there's no sense in which Jesus is, is not good. In every sense, Jesus is good. If that's what he tells us, then Jesus Christ is the one God that sees Three in chapter 5, verses 4 to 7, the Apostle James gives to the Savior the remarkable title, The Lord of Sabaoth, meaning Jehovah of Hope. 282 times in the Old Testament, this is Jehovah, the supreme God title. The Apostle James familiar with the Old Testament. And Jehovah is called the Lord of Sabaoth and all Jehovah of hosts. Doesn't hesitate to give that a title to our adorable Lord Jesus Christ. It's self-evident for those who have read the Bible, even only casually, that the principal message of the Scripture is this. There is one God. Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 6, God says, I am the first, and I am the last, and besides me there is no God. And that's repeated all down through the Old Testament and over into the New. Moses said to the Israelites, Deuteronomy 6 and 4, Hear, O Israel! Jehovah our Elohim is one Jehovah. When Jesus came, Mark 12 and 29, he was asked what is the first commandment. And he simply repeated the words of Moses. Jesus said the first commandment is, Hear, O Israel, Jehovah our God is one God. All right. It's the principal teaching of the Bible is that there's one God. And if Jesus Christ is anywhere called God in the New Testament, then it follows He is the one God. Is Jesus Christ called God? Well, He is. John 20 and 28. Thomas says of Him, My Lord and my God. Titus 2 and verse 13, the Apostle says, Looking for that blessed hope. Even the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. John 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The 14th verse, and the Word became flesh and was among us. Listen to this. Four questions and four answers. This is John 1 and 1 and 14. Who was in the beginning? The answer is the Word. Where was the Word? The answer is with God. Who was the Word? 
in order to make a balance and an effect. Who did die? Jesus died. Did that bring the new covenant in? Of course it brought the new covenant in. Why? Because in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He's fully God. He is the supreme spirit. Moderators, ladies and gentlemen, I'm certainly glad tonight to have the opportunity of coming to you to answer the things that my opponent he started out by making a speech to you people telling you what Connie would say. And about half the time, or a third of it, was taken up telling you what I would say. He evidently is afraid that I'm going to say something that will not exactly see the adoption of course I'm going to do that. But he should be affirming his proposition instead of worrying about what I'm going to say. I'm going to take care of what he said tonight. He started out by saying that he certainly was thankful that he wasn't in my seat. Well, as the old fellow says, that plague is mutual on both sides. I wouldn't want to be in here either. So he doesn't have to be thanking me or anybody else about that. And then he went on to say that if there are three persons in the Godhead, that a person would just be a third God, that he would not be a whole deity, but that he'd be a third. Well, I have three brothers. In my father's family, there were four of us boys. And all of us had the name Tiger. Now, I wonder if Mr. McGee thinks that I'm just the fourth Tiger. Is that the way you think about Mr. McGee? You think I'm just the fourth or just the half? Now, there are four of us. We're all Tigers. Did I have to take part of my other brothers? And are we all equal? Are we equal Tigers? Now, you see how easy it is to answer those things that he brings up. Then he said, that Titus denies the deity of Christ. Why that isn't so? You know, he started in pretty early telling what Titus does and what Titus doesn't do. You just wait, Mr. McGee, and let you hear what Titus does. Now, I do not deny that Jesus Christ is the deity. But I want to point out a few things in his proposition. Not many things in it, but we want to point out some of it. You know, they can't even pray without having three. Did you hear Mr. Erskine tonight when he prayed that God would give them a measure in a special way of the Holy Spirit? Now, they just have to have more than one. They can't get even a prayer without more than one. And then he wound up by saying that he thanked the Father for all these things in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, wouldn't that be strange language if there is but one? If you were to hear a person talking like that on the street, you'd think there's something wrong with him, wouldn't you? And yet, that's the only way they can do it. That's the only way they have of expression. All right, he says, his proposition says, that Jesus is the supreme deity. Now, he's going to have to admit that he's used the grammar in a pretty sloppy manner. Or he's going to have to go back on his doctrine once. You can't use that superlative term correctly when there's only one. 
if Jesus is the supreme deity, then I want to know who is the inferior deity. If he's the supreme one, there's got to be another one. Have you thought of that when you wrote his proposition? You see that, don't you? A person can't be supreme unless there's somebody under him. Now, he can't say that there are people around him or angels around him because he's talking about deity. He's talking about God. And he says that Jesus Christ is the supreme God. If that's so, who is the inferior? Don't forget that now. Be sure to answer that. We want to know which one is the inferior. All of you know, if you put a thing supreme, if you speak out of him as the first term, then there must be somebody under We're talking about God now. We're talking about deity. So we want him to tell us who is the inferior. Don't forget that. We want to get back up here. We want to know who is the inferior. Now you begin to see why he was afraid of what Todd is going to say. Because he's got more gods than one in his proposition. And he can't get out of it to save his soul from petition. It's back. And he will never be able to extricate himself from that blunder that he made when he wrote his proposition. All right, he said that uh, he told you what the Greek Jesus is, rendering of the Old Testament, but he made a mistake on it. The Greek New Testament Jesus is the old Hebrew Joshua. Just like Joshua the next children of Israel across the Red Sea, across the Jordan. He is Jesus in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it was Joshua. And so the point that he seemed to make on that, that he was the point. I'm going to answer his scripture he took up. Then I have some negative arguments that I want to make. The first scripture he used was the first chapter of Hebrews. I was somewhat amazed that he went to that. I'm going to give you that chapter at first now, or that passage of scripture. There Paul started out in the beginning of the Hebrew letter. And he said, God, who had sundered time and divers manner, spoken time passed under the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world, who be in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things for the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Somebody had a right hand, and Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For the which of the angels say he at any time, Thou art my son, to say have I begotten thee. And again, I'll be to thee a father, and thou shalt be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. Get it now. But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Now what did he call the Son? He called him God. Who called him God? The Father called him God. You missed it, that language. But unto the Son he saith, who saith it? Why, the Son didn't say it himself, the Father said it. But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Why, just listen to that little. Why, he said, God spoke to his Son. He hath made him better than the angels. 
He has appointed him of all things. He made all things by him. Now wouldn't that be strange language if there were only one that? But then I'll answer the rest of Hebrews while we're on it. He went then to the 8th chapter of Hebrews and seemingly tried to make a point there. Well, I want to start with the first verse of the 8th chapter of Hebrews. And there the Apostle Paul said, or the Hebrew writer, that of the things which we have spoken, now listen to this, of the things which we have spoken, this is the Son. We have a high priest, Jesus Christ the right. And he said that he had sat down, had sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Whose right hand did he sit down on the majesty? Now, he sit down on his own right hand. Doesn't there have to be Jews for a person to sit down on his right hand? It doesn't say that Jesus sat down on his own right hand. It says he sat down on the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high. And then he talked about he had made a better covenant. Yes. Paul said, but now if he obtained the more excellent ministry of Hamas, also is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then to go by his place and sought to the second. For finding fault with him himself, behold, the day to come, saith the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant out of Israel with the house of Jesus. So he made that covenant through Jesus Christ. Well, the next Hebrew quotation he made was in Hebrews, the ninth chapter, the 16th and 17th verses. Well, when he said, Then where a testament is a post, I must also of necessity be the death of testator. Otherwise, it's so forth whatever while the testator lives. And he said, Jesus brought in the New Testament, that's right. But he also says that Jesus died. If Jesus is the God, if Jesus is the only God, If Jesus is the only being in the Godhead, then there were three days when there was no God. Because the Bible says Jesus died, he said he was dead, and he said that the tongue would not intervene or something if he hadn't died. Now what about that three days? That's what else he's going to So he's got the world, three days without any God. That's what he got into on his Hebrews. All right. Now the next we have is quotation from John. John was a dangerous book to those men. They ought to stay away from John. If there's anything in the Bible that is John, it certainly ought to be John. Let's start with at the first chapter of John and see what he says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I just quoted from the eighth verse of the first chapter of Hebrews. It says the Father called the Son God. Now here it says he's God. In the beginning was the Word. That's Jesus. And the Word was with God. You can't be with yourself. You've got to have somebody else. Suppose a uh, mother would say to her daughter, Who were you out with last night? And she'd say, Nobody. Why, she could come back and say, He would, and say, Yes, you were out with yourself. Well, now that wouldn't be good, would it? He wouldn't talk like that in any other sense except religion. That's the only sense in which he speaks of that. And John said in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And all things were made by him, and without him not anything was made that was made. And the 14th verse that he read, 
Zephyr, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. I want you to notice the verb made, and the word was made flesh. He quoted from the American Standard Version, which said, and the word became flesh. But you've got to harmonize the two. How did the word become flesh? God made it flesh. In the 10th chapter of Hebrews, we had the Hebrew writer when he said that Jesus said, A body hast thou prepared me. Not a body that I prepared myself, but a body hast thou prepared me. Now come back to our quotation of 14th verse, verse chapter John. And you hear it where he said, And the word was made flesh. Who made it? Why, God made it flesh. The Father made it flesh. And the word was made flesh as well in us. And the chapter climax is the difficult, the 16th verse of the 8th chapter of John. And now let's hear that. Let's uh, on the screen, let's have the number two chart, will you? I just want to make a little statement about that. I'll pray the Father and he'll give you another chapter. Now let's see this. Number two, please. I'll pray the Father and he'll give you another chapter. Even the Spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive, for it neither knows him nor sees him. So, here he is. Well, I'll let you look at this now. That's the quotation, John 14, 16. And I will pray the Father. I is the first person singular. I will pray the Father. Father, third person object of the verb, pray. I pray the Father, and he will give in the devil was only a knot. 
God sent him to feed out in this man of thou shalt serve Oh, the old devil came along and said, the day thou eat the fire off, thou shalt not swear that. The only difference in that verse in the teaching of my worthy opponent, Jesus Christ, is a lot. Jesus said, and yet if I judge, my judgment is true, or I am not alone. Well, who said you then, thought of Jesus? But I am the Father that sent me. Isn't that true? If that isn't true, then I don't know what to do. I am not alone. I want that to raise the hands of every individual in this audience. I am not alone. And they made up an uh, argument based upon their law. He said, it is also within your law. That's the testimony of two men is true. The testimony of how many men Jesus? The testimony of two men is true. And then he said, I am one that bears witness of myself, and the Father that sets me bears witness of me. If Jesus Christ did me the two in that, and Jesus Christ made a false argument based upon the Galatians' penance, and we know Jesus Christ did me that. That would have been gross exception for him to have done that. He was talking to those Pharisees who denied him. And he said, if I judge my judgment is true, for I am not alone. It's also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one, and my father two. I am one that bears witness of myself, and the father who sent me bears witness of me. Now, don't you see that, my friend? That's just as easy as anything you can do. That's an argument that... That Jesus Christ made that there not enough to cross the creatures of this five lives over the place. There he said there's two of them. My testimony's got to be true, and you've got to acknowledge it's true. Because your law says the testimony is true, meaning true, and I'm producing two that says I'm the Son of God. Now what's my opponent going to do that? That's one of the things that she thought I was afraid that I'd do, sir. So we have it then. All right. I'm going to read a few other verses now before we pass on. He read from the ninth chapter of Isaiah. Well, I knew he would. And here's what he said, the sixth verse. When Isaiah said, Under us a child is born, under us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting. Father and Jacob. And so he says, Now there is the everlasting Father. But he forgets that the, the uh, Father applied to many people. That Jesus, back there, spoke of Abraham as their Father. They spoke of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And if he says, You today, we be prayer in one of our synagogues. It's not unusual to hear him say, The God of our Father. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yes, the leader was a father in any respect back in the old Jewish law. And so Isaiah, speaking of Jesus Christ, has been a leader among the people. He said he'll be a father. He'll be the everlasting father. But that didn't mean that God the Father wasn't also a father. Well, now we're going to notice the next time. Then I want to read a few passages of and then we'll get into some more diagrams of the Lord of the sons of the heaven. And uh, he says that God's got an issue. 
that you can have individually with God. Well, I think pity Paul didn't know that. You know, when Paul wrote to the church of Philippi, he didn't know that. If you think he did, he turned to the second chapter of Philippians and the fifth and sixth verses. And there he is, but let's just find.